it's a great blessing to be here. I'm Andy. Uh, I am the assistant pastor at Bandura Prezi. Um, and it is a great privilege to be here with Darabin Prezi. Um, I have a special connection to the church, having had a number of people from originally from the core team who uh, came to start up Darabin Prezi, uh, having walked with some of them, having married some of them, and having been in a growth group. Uh, Aaron and Gabby were perhaps the first people outside of our family who looked after my daughter Molly when she was a little baby. It is uh, special connections we have here with Darabin. And I think as a minister, there's always churches that you would love to go to if you weren't working at a church. And for, for Emma and I, it would be Darabin Prezi. We would love to be part of this church if we weren't part of any other church. So it is great blessing to be here, to be able to bring you talks from God's Word. I'll, my family couldn't come this weekend because as your kids get older, they get involved in many things. I tried to bring Hannah, my middle daughter, but I think she felt the weekend was a bit too long for her, but Molly has netball and other things on. So I'm married to Emma. We've been married about 19 years, and I've got um, Molly, who's in year seven this year, Hannah, who's in grade four, and then Lucas, who's three. Uh, if you get any chance to plan your kids in any way, don't have one at high school, primary school, and kinder. <laughs> Try and avoid that as much as you can. Um, but yeah, it is a great uh, and busy uh, life, but the greatest thing is, of course, to know the Lord Jesus and to be able to serve the Lord Jesus with my wife, Emma. Uh, and I am looking forward to opening God's Word with you this week. And so, um, yeah, keep your Bibles open. Uh, if the booklets help you, uh, follow along with the talk outline in the booklets. Um, that would be really helpful if you lose your spot uh, but most importantly, uh, keep those verses open. Um, I bought a Rolex watch when I was in high school. Uh, Rolex watches normally cost in the thousands of dollars, and I bought mine for $15 from an Asian night market. Once I was uh, back in Australia, I knew something was wrong when one of the diamonds came loose in my watch. And I was jiggling it around, trying to get, get it back into place. And I knew something was really wrong when my watch started to sweat on the inside of the glass. In a matter of months, the fake Rolex was in the bin. Now, I think there's nothing worse, I think, in our culture than being accused of being a fake, is there? Being, being inauthentic. Now, if human beings are the center of reality... Uh, then there's nothing more important, people would say, than being true to yourself. That is what is called the authentic life. But if God is at the center of reality, then the truly authentic life, the most real life you can have, is the one that is shaped by God. There's nothing more important then than to be true to God. And I think it raises the question, doesn't it? If there is a God... And if he's at the center of reality, then how can I know God? How can I shape my life around him? And I think the only way to know God is if God, in fact, reveals himself to us. And I think it raises this really helpful question. Uh, if, there, sorry. if there is a God, how has God revealed himself? If there's a God, how has God revealed himself? 
let me give you a, an example. Muslims, Christians, Catholics, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons would all believe to either a greater or lesser extent that Jesus Christ is some of the revelation of who God is. All those different uh, movements or religions would say that Jesus is at least part of God's revelation. But even what they say about Jesus is incredibly varied. And even in that category called Christian, uh, you can get some pretty varied beliefs about who Jesus is. Now, when it comes to Christianity, you don't want to settle for a fake. The stakes are really high. If one day you are to meet the true and living God, the God who made us and expects us to give an account for the life that we have lived, wouldn't you be in for a great shock if the version of Christianity that you settled for turned out to be a fake? The life that you thought perhaps was so authentic ended up being as fake as the fake Rolex that ends up being in the bin. So this weekend, we're going to look at this topic of authentic Christianity. Uh, the Apostle John, one of Jesus' first uh, disciples, uh, he's the one who wrote the Gospel of John. He's also the one who wrote three other letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to look at 1 John together, not all of it, but we're going to try and pick out some major themes from 1 John. And one of the reasons why John is writing this letter is to warn his readers to avoid cheap imitations of Christianity and to embrace authentic Christianity. He's warning them not to listen to anyone who would peddle a false gospel as though it was real. Because only the real gospel of Jesus Christ can give you eternal life with God. A number of times as you read 1 John, John will say, this is how we know this is how we know we're in him. This is how we know who the children of God are. I write this so that you may know you have eternal life. John wants them to know that they know Jesus. And that is my hope for you this weekend, that you would know that you know Jesus Christ. Here is a simple summary of, I think, the message of 1 John. Authentic Christianity equals a real Christ who deals with real sin and shows us real love. So today we're going to look at the real Christ, later in the afternoon, real sin, and tomorrow, real love. But before we do that, let's pray. Gracious Father God, I thank you that you do reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you meet us. We heard that, Father, when you uh, met Martine in that hotel room, that you showed her Jesus Christ once again. Father, please do that for us this weekend. Whether we've known him for a long time or whether we're yet to know him, please speak to us by the power of your Spirit through your Son, Jesus Christ, in his word. Please help me to speak it clearly, faithfully, for I'm a frail servant of yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just Vinda, my Sikh friend, uh, was becoming increasingly agitated with me. He was very earnest about his religion. And up until this point, we'd always talked quite cheerfully uh, until this particular email exchange between us. And I just quoted Jesus from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And to Jasvinda's ears, these words were the height of sheer arrogance. How can you possibly say there is only one way to God? It's like going to Melbourne. If you want to get to the city, you can go by train, by tram, by bus, you can walk, you can ride your bike. So too, there are many ways to God, Jasvinda replied. And, And you don't have to be Sikh to hold this view. Many people hold this view of God that if there is some sort of divine force or being out there, no one should be able to claim exclusive access to that God. And I wonder how many of us have thought that to ourselves. Aren't all religions effectively just different roads to the same God? Or perhaps some of you have found yourself being in the extreme minority of not believing that. Perhaps you're the only one in your workplace in your place of study, your share house, who believes Jesus' claim that there is only one way to God and that he alone is the way to eternal life with God. Well, that is exactly what the Apostle John is saying in this letter. John writes in 1 John 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. If you believe in the name of the Son of God, you have eternal life. So according to John, if you know Jesus, you will know life. You will know God. You will have the knowledge of life with him here and into eternity. But the converse is also true. If there is no Jesus in your life, you will have no access to life with God. And the Christian message, well, well, if it's not true, then just Vinda is right. It is arrogant, isn't it? Who do these Christians think they are? But if the gospel is true, then John is right. Knowing Jesus is the only way to God's gracious gift of life with him, even after we die. So the crucial question for this morning's talk is, how do we know the real Christ? How do we know the real Jesus? We should listen to John. He knows Jesus. And from the outset, he's going to speak about Jesus as this word of life. And he's going to say three things about the word of life. Firstly, the word revealed. Secondly, the word proclaimed. And thirdly, the word that gives fellowship and joy. Well, firstly, verse 1 we see the word revealed. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and has appeared to us. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, The start of 1 John sounds very familiar to other parts of the Bible. In John chapter 1, the start of his gospel, when John talks about Jesus, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And that kind of reminds us of another start of a book. The very first book of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's quite the introduction to the letter of 1 John. John is saying something quite significant about Jesus, this this word of life. Before anything else had a beginning, 
And, and that includes everything. If you think about everything in this room and outside of this room, everything has a beginning and an end, doesn't it? Everything. But Jesus doesn't. John is saying that Jesus was. Jesus never had a beginning. Jesus was. Jesus pre-existed everything. The word was with God in John chapter 1. And here in 1 John 1, in verse 2, the word of life was with or was alongside the Father. There was never a time when the Son of God was not in existence. He always was. Now that, that's quite different to what Jehovah's Witnesses would say. A Jehovah's Witness would believe that Jesus was God's first creation. Before God made anything else, he made Jesus. But that's not what John is saying. In his gospel, John says the Son was never created. In fact, God made everything else through his word. John refers to Jesus here and in the gospel as the word, the word of life. Here in 1 John. How does God create in Genesis 1? Through his word. His word brings life. God said, let there be light and there was light. Now that's a staggering thought, isn't it? That Jesus was always. But, but even more staggering is the idea that this word that was always in existence, this word that created Time and space and life and everything in the universe, this word of life enters time and space. John says in verse 1 and 3, we have heard, we have seen, we have touched, we have looked at the word of life. The word of life appeared to us, his disciples. In John chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. At a certain point in history, you could say, I met God. The word was with God, the word was God, and this word came into the world. John is saying himself, I met God. One of the titles given to Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. I held him as a baby, like one of the babies here at the back of the room. Simeon held Jesus as a baby. He, he held God as a baby. Jairus could say that God raised my daughter to life. Peter could say, I saw God calm the storm on Lake Galilee. The centurion who saw Jesus crucified, I saw God crucified on Golgotha. Thomas Jesus' disciples could say, I fell at his feet after he came back from the dead and I called him my Lord and my God. Now that great carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, this is how Charles Wesley puts it. It's a great couple of lines. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. He's saying this is God in the flesh. The eternal word of life becomes a baby wrapped in skin, bones, and blood. That is an amazing thought, isn't it? Uh, Graham Kendrick, in his song, hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. In that song, The Servant King. The divine creator 
becomes the servant crucified on the cross. Now, if you want to marry someone, you need to get to know them first. It's always helpful, I think, to get to know someone. And, and, and how do you get to know someone? Well, well, you begin by stalking them on Facebook, don't you? <laughs> maybe Instagram, maybe you like a photo here and there, you know. Then you might ask their friends what they're like. But these things will only get you so far because to know someone, they must reveal themselves to you. And we do this best through word. Words. How do you get to know God? You cannot stalk him from a distance. He must reveal himself through his word. God not only creates through his word, he shows us who he is through his word. And the greatest revelation of God is his word of life, his son. Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. How do we know we have the real Christ? The eternal word of life reveals God to us through flesh and blood, coming and living with us, teaching us about who God is. Through God's son, we know God. And, and that's all well and good, though, you might think. That's well and good for you, John, because you could walk with Jesus. You could eat with Jesus. You could go fishing with Jesus. But what about me? I'm not in that bit of time and space that you were when you were with Jesus. I'm over here 2,000 years later. And that's exactly why John is writing this. Because the people he, he's writing to never met Jesus either. Here's the second point. The word revealed is the word proclaimed. Verse 2, the life appeared, we have seen it and testify it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Those who witnessed the word of life first and those who saw him, heard him, touched him, are in this wonderfully unique position this authoritative position to proclaim Jesus, the word of life, to those who have never met Jesus. See, when the original eyewitnesses of Jesus begin dying out, they or their companions start to write down these accounts of Jesus. That's why we have the Gospels. So then the readers of these messages about Jesus can hear about the word of life. So there's this chain, there's this chain of uh, revelation. I want you to see this chain. There's the eternal word of life who's with God. He becomes flesh, Jesus of Nazareth. He dwells among firsthand eyewitnesses like John. And John then proclaims the message of Jesus to his readers in his letters, in his gospel. And that is now where we come in. We received this same proclaimed message by reading this message, by believing this message. So although we are removed from Jesus in time and space, we can know the real Christ by receiving the word proclaimed by the apostles. Again, this is different to what Catholics believe. Catholics would believe that the Pope has significant authority worldwide over the Catholic Church. And because of the appointment of the Pope is really carrying on the authority from Peter the Apostle Pope after Pope after Pope, that is how you get authoritative words. But from 1 John, 
the authority of the apostles doesn't rest in a line of popes. No, the authority of the apostles rests in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When this message is passed on from one generation to the next. It's not just John who says this. The Apostle Paul says this. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received... I passed on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul receives the gospel from Jesus himself on the road to Damascus and then he passes on the revelation of Jesus by proclaiming this message to whoever will listen. And that's why he writes 1 Corinthians. Christian people then, a people of the word of life revealed by listening to the word proclaimed. That is why Christian people are people of the Bible. God's word proclaimed to us. And I think when we give up the Bible, we give up life with God. Uh, Elizabeth was 91 when I went to visit her in the nursing home. And like many residents of the nursing home, she'd spend lots of time staring out the window and the view is pleasant, but at this stage of life, there is a certain amount of just waiting for death. Each time I visit Elizabeth, there's a certain urgency about the visit. And would this be the last time I saw her alive? Elizabeth had attended church all her life. So I asked her, would you like me to read the Bible with you? No, she said. When I was in my 20s, this very smart man came into our church. He led a discussion group and he showed us that you couldn't really trust all of the Bible. And I was not as smart as him, she said, so we just relied on what he said. Elizabeth, I asked, do you know where you will go after you die? No, she said, I'm lost. I'll never forget those words. So sad to leave the nursing home that day. For decades, the Bible sat in her house, gathering dust, attending church week after week, and yet never receiving the word of life proclaimed to her. You see, you can go to church all your life, you can call yourself a Christian and have no regard for the word of life. Why is it so important? Why is this proclaimed word so important? And this is John's third point. The proclaimed word is the word that gives fellowship and joy. Look at verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, John tells us the final goal of the revelation and the proclamation of the word of life is fellowship and joy. The word fellowship is a funny word, isn't it, in churches? It, often when we use the word fellowship, we kind of think of coffee and biscuits and donuts. Fellowship is much more than that. It is, 
intimate, it is close, it is deep relationship. Relationship that speaks more of family than just mere surface level friendship. It speaks of purpose and belonging. And so John is saying, if you receive the proclaimed word of life and you trust it as it is, the word that shows us who God is, you will be in intimate relationship with us, but not just with us, John says. You will have fellowship with God the Father and with his son Jesus Christ. The chain is now complete. That is why the word became flesh revealed. That is why the apostles proclaimed the word, so that by believing this word you can know the real Christ personally, intimately, in such a way that you can be in God's family, and not just in this life, but into eternity. Share our joy, John says, by believing this word, know Jesus, know life. I, I think it is not a coincidence that Martin shared a testimony before this talk, because that's just what I heard, wasn't it? Fellowship with God as she was devouring his word, as Jesus met her in that hotel room through his proclaimed word. This is how the wonderful gospel that is the Christian message brings us to God. That is the real Christ. And in the context of 1 John, there were those who were denying this message of the real Christ, and you do so at great danger, John says. This is 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. 1 John 4, this is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Don't settle for fakes, John says. You need to know the Son of God in truth. 1 John 5, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. No Jesus, no life. Or as Jesus said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if this is true, friends, where else can we go? For each one of us faces the reality of death. But the one who humbly turns to the real Christ and trusts in the word of life will receive fellowship and joy and eternal life with God. Uh, that clip that I showed you is from Q&A recorded at the end of 2013 in Sydney during the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. Tony Jones asks his guests what they thought was the most dangerous idea in the world through that lady who stood up and asked that question. And Dan Savage, the gay activist, said mandatory abortion for 30 years to achieve population control. Germaine Greer, the feminist, said freedom to make choices. Now, they're hardly radical ideas. I actually think they're pretty conventional if you have Western self-centered humanism at the center of your reality. Peter Hitchens, 
journalist and former atheist said, the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, rose from the dead. And that is the most dangerous idea that you will encounter because it alters the whole of human behavior and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos into a design place in which there is justice and there is hope. And therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. If we reject it, it alters us all as well. It is incredibly dangerous. It is why so many people turn against him. It's amazing, isn't it, that he said that? Hitchens is right. To believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Word of life, who rose from the dead, is the most wonderfully dangerous idea in the world. It's dangerous because if Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, the Word of life, God in flesh, then he gets to determine what is real and what is not, what is right and what is wrong. But it's a wonderful idea because if Jesus Christ is who he says he is and has come into the world that I might know him and that you might know him, then it brings purpose and meaning and hope. This is not just meaningless, random nonsense. One question that I want to ask you to apply this passage. Who has the final word in your life? You see, I think authority determines reality. I think the authentic life is determined by the one who has authority. So if you walk through the streets of Northcote, of Thornbury, of Reservoir, or Melbourne, just as in most streets of Melbourne, authority is what? Personal experience, isn't it? What's true for me determines my reality. In other words, my word is the final word on my life. Well, what happens, though, when you encounter a word that judges you. And what if that word is the word of life, Jesus Christ? The second video I showed you was of the two brothers, Peter and Christopher Hitchens. Both, at one stage, ardent atheists, people who rejected religion. And one of those brothers, Christopher Hitchens, well-known atheist, wrote the book called God is Not Great. Christopher Hitchens died six years ago. Peter Hitchens, his brother, in response to his brother's book, called, uh, wrote a book called The Rage Against God. Can you imagine what Christmas lunches must have been like <laughs> for these two guys? And as you heard in that video, Peter Hitchens came to believe when confronted by the reality of God's judgment that he was not the final word of his life but that God was. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. His brother, Christopher, on the other hand, died without the word of life. For Christians, the word of life revealed and proclaimed is their authority. Jesus is the one who determines reality. A Christian is someone who says, Jesus Christ has the final word over my life. His authority determines all my reality. So let me ask you, who has the final word in your life? Who has the final word? 
If you are yet to turn to Jesus by believing his word, can I urge you to do it? If the word is piercing your heart, cutting you open and calling you to turn to Jesus, then do it. Turn to Jesus. Call to him. Pray to him. Jesus, if you're real, then speak to me. Show yourself to me through your word. Jesus, if you are Lord, if you are the one who gets to determine what is right in my life, then please help me to respond to you as Lord of my life. And if the Apostle John is right, if the word of life is the only way you can turn to God, the real Christ is the only one who can bring us to God. There is no other way. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't take this word for granted because it is the word of the real Christ for you. And I want to encourage you to keep having Jesus as the final word in your life over every decision, over every priority. It's so easy, isn't it, to move the real Christ from the center to the outskirts. You must be convinced, as the Apostle John is convinced, that the real Christ is the only way. And, and can I encourage you to be convinced that the real Christ is the only way for everyone, not just for you. Are you convinced of that for the people of Darabin? That the Son of God is the only way, that the word of life is the only way they will access God and find joy and fellowship and forgiveness and eternal life. Are you convinced that the Bible is what people need to hear? I went to visit Elizabeth one more time at the nursing home. She was no longer eating at this stage. She could barely speak or open her eyes. Her body was wasting away. It would be a matter of hours or a day or two before she would breathe her last. I was surprised. She opened her eyes and she, she seemed to recognize me. I asked her if she was at peace and she said no. I asked her if I could read the Bible. No response. And what do ministers do? They read the Bible anyway. I read her Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, the one who leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. I read to Elizabeth from John chapter 10 about Jesus, the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep, who knows his sheep and calls them by name. And I asked her if I could pray for her, and to my surprise she said yes. I pray that Jesus would call her and that she would listen to him and trust him. And she fell asleep. By the end of my prayer, I left her and she died the next morning. My hope, my prayer, is that Elizabeth received the word of life before she breathed her last. And that she now has fellowship with, with God her Father. That is my hope and prayer. And that is my hope and prayer for you. Let's pray. Gracious Father God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Thank you you have done that so completely and wonderfully through the word of life, your Son, Jesus Christ. Gracious Father, thank you that you've made it possible for us to read uh, through your word, proclaimed by the Apostle John of this word of life. And that by believing this word, we can have fellowship and joy with you. Help us, Father. Help each one of us to turn to Jesus, to trust his words, to cling to him, and to find true life in him. In Jesus' name, amen.